You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. I am, guess what? Guess what? I'm excited to be here again. I really do love getting on the microphone and talking directly with all of you. And we have covered some pretty intense topics over the last handful of weeks. 223, a waste of time or a wasted life, right? Or do you experience things as a waste of time, but yet you wasted so much of your life being wasted? So it's all subjective to your perspective on whether things are a waste of time or not based on the choices you decide to make about what you're experiencing. Going back to 222, when we discussed early sobriety, how you need to be looking to change everything, being in control of yourself and how healing takes time. Why tough days follow good days is episode 221, and I'm a huge fan of that one. Somebody within the tribe literally had a tough, tough day right after some very, very good, good days. And why is this happening? Well, go back and listen to 221. I loved my New Orleans lessons, the triune brain, impulse control, neurotransistor, uh, neurotransistors. Are we talking about radios now? Neurotransmitters. Um, I've already gotten some great feedback on how I reset my attitude toward myself over in 219. And uh, early recovery, why the brain and the body need time to heal. We've really been talking a lot about this time, 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 because that's what people seem to be focused on. And for me, I certainly was. When I got sober, I was just like, I cannot believe I have wasted so much of my time being wasted. What am I going to do with my life now? What is the most important thing to me now? And I would have loved to have been able to you know, jump in the DeLorean with Doc Brown and Einstein and Marty McFly and made some different choices, but that's just not the way the cookie crumbles. We don't live in a world where we could go back in time and change things because the world would be a constant state of fuckery <laughs> because everybody would want to go back and change everything. I can't believe I wore that blue shirt to that event. I will go back in time and change that. No, no, this isn't the Lazarus Project. We can't just go back and change things whenever we want to, whenever we decide to reset the timeline. So let's think about what it's like to be moving forward in our sobriety and recovery. And last week during a waste of time or a wasted life, I said toxic productivity. And that triggered me to think about how I could turn that into an entire episode. And what was really interesting is that I had to go back over into my Apple podcast recently to send over some links to my assistant. And in the process of doing that, I came across my reviews. And one of the reviews that still to this day stands out is the only one star I've ever gotten. And if you really want to laugh, I mean, if you want a laugh, you got to go over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it now, and search from Sobriety Recovery. Find this one-star review and listen to, well, I say listen, you're going to read it, but you're going to hear it in your own head as you read it. So maybe there's some listening involved too. What this person says, and the claims he makes against me are laughable at best and just downright egregious at worst. Like It's literally as if he's yelling at himself. This is, when I talk about how the unconscious mind will point out things to you that annoy you about other people. It's generally doing that because what you're complaining about is actually something that your unconscious mind knows you could be working on about yourself. 
So if somebody is complaining all the time and it grinds your gears, are you also complaining all the time? If gossip really gets you down and wires you up, do you catch yourself also gossiping in other areas of your life? If you see people doing a behavior that super grinds you down, are you noticing anywhere in your life where a similar behavior is something that you also do? Because your unconscious mind is going to start pointing out things to you and other people that it wants you to notice in yourself. Because the unconscious mind is on board with this personal growth and self-development stuff. Especially once we start to clear the fog of addiction from our brains and we can actually see the world around us. And this is something my therapist, Melissa, talked to me a lot about. About how when you get sober, you'll look around and you'll be like, this isn't my beautiful house and this isn't my beautiful life to take a line from as the days go by um, by the talking heads. As the days go by, water going underground. And so if you listen to that song, I suppose. So where am I going with all this? Toxic productivity. So I mentioned that. And in this review, the guy just lambaste me about stuff that's not even factual when it comes to the episode that he was referencing. In fact, he's really just angry at himself and decided he's just going to yell at Jesse in order to, I don't know, feel better for the 10 seconds he decided to troll me. But at the very end of it, he said something that I thought was really valuable that I'm like, wow, there is something to be said about what this person just said. Because when people make comments about things. Again, they're very much looking to find that within themselves and heal it. And I'm trying to find this review as we go. I said I wasn't going to try to find it, but now I want to find it. There it is. Sexist and OCD-based recovery. He wrote it back on September 2nd of 2020. Um, The sexist part is absolutely laughable because the episode wasn't even about that. I don't consider myself sexist at all. But he does this entire diatribe on why women made him late to everything and how me looking at Google Maps to make sure I show up on time is a reason for him to hate me. (laughs) It's, again, um, it's... (laughs) So it's great. It's absolutely awesome. I'm even trying to read it right now, and I'm just like, this is funny as hell. But right here, at the very sort of middle of it, he goes, Host is addictive and obsessive-compulsive personality. He replaced one addiction with different ones to fill his time. So the rambling nonsense get us to that line. Apologies for the last two minutes. Thank you for sticking around as I sort of gathered my thoughts. But it was really important that I wanted to bring this up. The host is addictive and obsessive-compulsive personality. Well, I absolutely have an addictive personality. 22 years of alcoholism and hardcore drug use would certainly lay claim to that. Can't deny it. Um, Obsessive-compulsive personality, not a doctor, so I've never been actually called uh, or labeled as obsessive-compulsive by a medical professional, but I certainly do display certain signs of that. And I've had people who don't have medical training try to tell me that I'm OCD. So that is whatever it is. It's this line. He replaced one addiction with different ones to fill his time. I really want you to stop for a moment And hear that. He replaced one addiction with different ones to fill his time. So let's talk about toxic productivity and let's use this sentence to segue ourselves there. Addiction is when we do something 
over and over and over and over and over again to the detriment of ourselves and uh, the people we love and the world at large, our environment around us, right? I'm, I'm giving a, this is a very, very basic definition of addiction, right? Somebody could say, oh, everybody is an alcoholic, but somebody who just has one beer every Friday night to enjoy the hard work week like my um, aunt and uncle used to do. They allowed themselves three beers every Friday night. It was their thing. Right now, because they do it every single Friday night, some people will say, oh, you know, see, that's an addictive behavior every single Friday night. But it didn't cause any detriment to their lives. They actually quite enjoyed it. They would eat some Mexican. They would drink the beers. It was just their little Friday night ritual. And addiction is something that we do compulsively over and over and over again, even when we start to see that its effects on our lives are destroying us. It's diminished returns. When we first started doing alcohol and drugs, it was a really great way to escape all of the things that we were wanting to escape from, and then the medicine became the poison. So it's very, very, very important that we are mindful of how we use the word addictive and addiction. Oh, I'm just a, I'm addicted to this TV show. I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted to that. We throw it out a lot, very casually, haphazardly even. And we label things as addictive when they're not. We're just really into this TV show right now. If we were really addicted to the TV show, it's not just that we would binge it. We would watch it like 1,400 times. And it'd be like, you know, the house could be on fire. The kids could have chopped off their hand using the axe in the backyard. And we're like, nope, got to watch Grey's Anatomy. Sorry, I'm just addicted to this television show. But my hand, I know, it's a bummer. And maybe we'll learn how to put it back on. Let me watch another 35 episodes of Grey's Anatomy. We want to be mindful of how we're using the word addictive because we throw around addictive and addiction and we do it in a way where it can sort of lessen what it really is, what it really means. So that's my little two cents on the addictive word, but it's this last part of the sentence with different ones to fill his time. This is the part that really, I mean, this is when I officially was like, this guy is just cracking me up. When you get sober, and you start to step into this world of clearing the fog and clearing your mind. The point is to fill up your life with things that you willingly gave to addiction. And I say willingly gave to addiction specifically using those words because addiction did not take away photography from me. Addiction did not take away writing from me. Addiction did not take away my creativity. It did not take away my physical health. It did not take away my gym time. I willfully chose to go to the bar at two in the afternoon on a Tuesday and get wasted rather than do something else with my life. I chose that. Saying that addiction took it makes it the villain. And we don't want to live in the disempowerment dynamic, victim, villain, hero. Because then we're waiting for something to save us. And I don't need to be saved. I need to be making better choices. I need to be the creator of a better life for Jesse. That's the empowerment dynamic where you have the creator, the coach, and the challenger. And there's a huge difference. It's why I call my business Wise Mind Empowerment. Because the wise mind is a balance between the emotional and the rational mind. And I use empowerment very specifically because I'm referencing the empowerment dynamic. So when this guy says that I just replaced one addiction for others, yeah, we could start to see my, you know, steadfast dedication to writing the books or blogging or coaching, learning in NLP, launching the podcast, building a business. Yeah, there could be certain people who could see the way that I behaved around this as being slightly addictive. 
that I would stay up late at night working on things and get up early in the morning and continue working on them. And there were certainly times where people in my immediate vicinity and my friends and my family and my partner would notice that I would just get super into this. Now, do we want to use the word obsessive or is it just being super into it? You don't start a business and half-ass it if you want it to be successful. And that's the same way with our sobriety and recovery. If we half-ass things and we expect to be successful, aren't we just replicating a behavior that got us here to begin with? We use alcohol and drugs to mute whatever we were looking at for it to mute. And then we half-assed our way through life to just get to the next buzz. So when this guy claims that I just got rid of alcohol and drugs and replaced it with all this other stuff, it is a complete mislabeling of the, what I believed my process was. Subjective to his perspective, clearly he had some things he needed to work out and he chose this platform to do it that evening. But either way, that's the point of sobriety and recovery is to fill your life with the things that you willingly gave to your addiction. And some of us may not want to hear that we willingly chose to go off and get wasted and sacrifice everything else in honor of the buzz, but you were making the choice. You have to take on that personal responsibility, blaming and complaining and making excuses for why you spent so many years being wasted. Oh, it's because my mommy did this or my daddy did that or because the environment did this or that my community did that. You're taking yourself out of the empowerment dynamic and you're willingly handing over your power to the villain. So what are you going to do? You're going to be the victim standing on the side of the building hoping that, you know, the green goblin stops throwing those blow-up pumpkins at you and Spider-Man swoops in? Or are you going to be the one who saves your own ass? Because Spider-Man's got a lot of shit going down. Green Goblin's messing up a lot of the city. And if you're not his girlfriend, then he's probably not going to prioritize you over her. I don't remember her name. I think it was Mary Jane. Not, Not quite sure. But anyways, let's not get lost in the metaphor. So yes, the idea is to fill up your life with other things. That's the point. And that can also be called being productive. And we want to take on a whole new level of being productive in our lives when we step into sobriety and recovery. Because now we're doing things with a clear mind, a clear heart. Shout out to Friday Night Lights right there. We want to be moving ourselves forward. That's personal growth and development. That's the self-help industry. How can you better yourself? Now, I'm a little, little off put that I'm now putting toxic productivity together as a statement because we've heard of toxic masculinity. We've heard of toxic femininity. People are throwing toxic in front of other words to try to insinuate that being these things is not good. And so I'm very mindful about how I'm going to combine the word toxic and productivity. Because it's up to you to have self-awareness and inventory around how is it you're being productive. Is it at the cost of your own mental health? Is it at the, at the cost of other people in your lives' mental health? Or is it just part of your self-care and personal growth routine to move yourself forward in this manner? Right? This is going to be a lot of subjective perspective. You could even ask some other people, but that's another issue we can fall into. Allowing other people to determine if how we're being productive and working on ourselves is toxic or not. Because it, just because it doesn't work for your partner or your household who's gotten very used to wasted version of you, and now you want to be this new version of you, they're going to have to come up with a new homeostasis and a new balance. 
they may not necessarily be all that intrigued by the idea that you're actually going to be paying attention to their lives and wanting to be involved because for so many years you've been checked out. The kids have been getting away with whatever they've been getting away with. Their partner has been, you know, living their own life, realizing that you weren't going to participate in the way that they had hoped. And now all of a sudden you're ready to be involved and they don't have habits built up around that. So being mindful of how somebody else judges your productivity is extremely important. Because you are on this journey for you, first and foremost. Everybody else gets the benefits of it, but it has to be a self-driven journey. So whether your productivity is toxic or not is really got to be based on, do you think that you are living a balanced homeostasis kind of life? If I hide in my office 20 hours a day, 14 days in a row, then yeah, that's not balanced. Leave the house, go on a walk with the girlfriend, go to the gym, lift some weights, call up some friends, like have a life. I love my business and it definitely grinds me down. And this guy's over here talking about how I got sober and I had movie deals and book deals waiting for me. I have none of that shit. First of all, if you want to make a movie about my life, give me a holler. No one has <laughs> approached me about that to this point. I made the books happen. I made the blogs happen. I created a podcast. Nobody made me do any of this. And I definitely am not you know, surfing down the road on $100 bills. I'm not living a life of milk and honey. In fact, oftentimes it's a, it's a land of hand to mouth, just like the rest of the world. I just decided to build a business up around this stuff because I love being of service to my community not just for the addiction recovery. I life coach business people. I help people start businesses. I help people learn how to speak on stage. I teach neuro-linguistic programming to people who want to utilize the power of that to better their lives and other people's lives. Like it's None of this stuff was handed to me any more than anything that you want in your sobriety and recovery is going to be handed to you. So we got this idea of toxic po- positivity toxic positivity. Okay. There's also that one, right? We want, if something bad happens, we want to allow us to feel the badness of that happening. It's not life or sobriety that sucks. It's just life sometimes. Trying to always find the positive in everything that comes down that's undesirable. That can be a little toxic, right? When my stepmom's mother passes away, yes, we can find some positive in that, that we got to say goodbye, that she had to live a long, healthy life, but it's still sad. When their dog has to be put to sleep because it has cancer, yes, it had a long and happy life, but we can still mourn that process. When the next door neighbor's house gets hit by lightning and it affects everybody in the cul-de-sac and we all lean out and, and help this family who's going through this major life change as their house is being remodeled, right? we can see the sadness in that. We don't always have to be pushing the positivity. We want to embrace some of the negativity, heal, work our well selves through the emotions, and then as we start to come out of that, we can start saying, okay, well, what is the positive lesson to be learned in this? But embrace the negative of it. Feel that emotion because muting our emotions is what we were experts at while we were intoxicated. That's not who we are anymore. So there's my little side sidebar on toxic positivity. Like feel into the negativity, allow those emotions to be a part of it, have conversations about it. There's plenty of time later to find the lesson in it and to grow from it. But in the moment, sometimes it's just okay to be sad, to be not happy with what's going on in life. So then we got, let's move ourselves back to toxic productivity. 
We want to be productive. We want to take on things in our lives because addiction was so willingly happy to accept the things that we so willingly handed over to it. So let's go back to when I first got sober, January 13th of 2017. Now, shortly after that, about a month and a half or so later, I moved out one roommate and I moved in another roommate. And we had met through this men's group that we both really enjoyed. And we had started to get inklings of neuro-linguistic programming and wanting to be involved in learning that and incorporating that into our lives and launching a coaching business around neuro-linguistic programming. Me and Patrick talked about this ad nauseum. I mean, we would sit at the couch and we would just sit there and talk and talk and talk. So he shows up at about the two and a half to three month mark of my sobriety and recovery. And I remember it very clearly because it was sort of in that April to May region because my car had broken down and I had to spend a lot of time finding a new car. And he'd only lived with me for a few weeks and he was really gung-ho about getting our life coaching business up and running using neuro-linguistic programming. And I was on the computer for like three hours a day researching cars. And he got upset that I was spending so much time researching cars. I remember that argument very clearly because I bought the car in May. So I know it was happening around that time. Well, it was in these conversations that we started to discuss how I was going to organize the process of going through sobriety so that I could achieve myself into addiction recovery. And we started to come up with a system that I'm going to discuss with you today. And I originally called it Life's Blueprint, and I haven't really renamed it or done much anything with it. It was the very first book I ever wrote. I remember introducing it to some of the listeners back years and years and years ago. I'm going to say it was like in 2019, 2020. I want to say it may have even been during COVID whenever I first introduced it. And it was my system to feel like I was being productive towards my sobriety and recovery. And it was a real simple and easy way for me to organize my days so I could go to bed feeling like I was moving myself forward each and every day. I didn't want any stagnation. I also didn't want to drive myself into the ground trying to be so productive that I was doing things that may have just been pushing my mental health. I wanted to stay away from being hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I didn't want to exhaust myself. I wanted to get good sleep. I didn't want the stress of seeking to be productive in my sobriety and recovery journey to actually be one of the reasons why I wasn't successful in my sobriety and recovery journal. Journal? Journey. But I did journal a lot. And let's get to that. So if you've got a pad and paper, if you've got a notebook, if you've got a way to write some things down, I'm going to give you some things to write down real quick. And then we can start discussing how I utilize these in my own journey. I'm not going to go on and on and on about this because we're going to continue to talk about it in future episodes, specifically um, National Addiction Awareness Month is coming up in September. I'm absolutely going to be discussing some of this there then, but I want you to be able to get it down and start seeing where you can incorporate this into your life today. So we all have three spheres in our life. And if you've got a piece of paper, I want you to make three columns and I want you to write career, self, and relationships at the very top. Career, self, and relationships. And I came up with these three spheres because there's this one thing I read once somewhere a long time ago that said there's three things every human has to figure out in order to achieve some modicum, some level of happiness in their life where they're going to live, who they're going to love, and what they're going to do. And so I took this idea of where am I going to live, who am I going to love, and what I'm going to do, and I said, okay, well, if these are the three main things that all humans need to figure out in order to find some level of happiness in their life, what are these really? 
And so I came up with this idea that there are these spheres, sort of like we're juggling them around, if you will. You know, where are you going to live? That's yourself. What kind of environment are you going to put yourself in? Who are you? What kind of people are you going to be around? What kind of activities are you going to be able to take part in based off where you're living? On the Dilt's Pyramid, environment shows up. Pretty sure it's Dilt or it's Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Uh, pretty sure it's Dilt's Pyramid. Where environment moves up to skills, skills move up to capabilities, capabilities move up to identity statements, and identity statements meet at the very top of the pyramid when we have this idea of like who we are, when we can transcend ourselves and really fully open ourselves up to the majesties of life. So we got this environment. That's self. Where am I going to be? Because that is, if you live on the mountains and you want to be a surfer, it's not going to be very easy. If you live in a rural community where nobody's around, it might be very difficult for you to find meetings and a community of sober people that you can be around because you are in a very remote area with not a lot of people to begin with. Or if you're tired of being around a ton of people and you live you know, in New York City or Los Angeles, then it's going to be very difficult for you to find some space for you to just breathe or for some grass for you to just walk around in barefoot and feel like you know, you're not walking around in a bunch of you know, human urine or animal waste. So it's going to be decided upon by your environment. So that became the self-sphere. Then who are you going to love? That's the relationship sphere. Pretty simple. Not only with who am I going to love as in partner-wise, but also what kind of friends am I going to have? What kind of acquaintances am I going to have? What kind of people am I going to be involved with at work? And that moves us over to the career sphere. Where What are you going to do? Even the wealthiest of wealthy still have to find something to take up their time because I'll tell you what, just sitting in your mansion counting your money like Scrooge McDuck is going to get old at some point. So you got to figure out what you're going to do, and that becomes the career sphere. So you've got career, self, and relationships, CSR for short, if you want, because I love acronyms. So now we've got our spheres. So I started to organize my life. Okay, what's my job? I've got 25 degrees. I work at the Hotel Roosevelt. I'm a morning bartender and, you know, lead and I, you know, do all this stuff there. So, and then I also was a sports writer. I was also doing morning talk show hosting. I was also interviewing people on a red carpet, occasionally doing some stand up and some improv. So I had a lot of different things that I was doing. So what about those do I want to keep in my sobriety and recovery? And what ones do I want to shift and start doing something else with? So there was my career sphere ready to go. And I'm trying not to fidget with the cord on my microphone and making that little clicking sound in the back. So I will stop doing that and I will start squeezing on this little brain in my office now. So hopefully that has not been making noise. Uh, I've literally got a star in one hand and I've got a little brain in the other. So I've got something to squeeze because I have been playing with the cord this entire time. I'm sorry if that's been making a noise. (laughs) I will stop doing that now. So... We've got our career, we've got ourself, we've got our relationships. Now we can start to really delve down into what is it about ourselves we want to be working on every day because we are seeking some level of productivity here, right? But we don't want it to be toxic, but we'll get more into that a little bit later. So then I was like, okay, so that we've got the career self-relationship spheres. I was like, but there's a lot in there. And when I would talk to people or Patrick would ask me, well, you know, what about your job don't you like? What about yourself are you unhappy with? What about your relationships do you want to work on? I was like, okay, well, then what components of these things exist? Because we got to figure out a way to chunk it down a little bit more because career self-relationships is extremely broad. If you tell me I hate my job, my job sucks, well, why does it suck? What is it that you're doing there? You know, do you feel emotionally supported? 
Do you feel like it's testing your mental capacity so that you're, you're staying sharp and it's not monotonous and mundane? Or is it too taxing and you prefer that it was a little bit more monotonous and mundane? And does the job align with your personal values, your morals, your ethics, your opinions, your beliefs, your principles, your standards of habits? From this came the four pillars, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. So if you're taking notes, and hopefully you are, under each one of career self-relationships, I want you to write the words physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And that's PIMS for short, P-E-M-S. And so I moved that one around a lot, trying to figure out the best way. There was like E-M-P-S, but there was like that was imps and sounded a little bit too much like electromagnetic pulse. And so, and then there was like P-M-S-E, but then it had P-M-S in it. And I thought that would you know be offensive to people. So moved it all around. And honestly, I settled with PIMS and wasn't thrilled with that one because there is a drink called PIMS cup that's from England, but figuring that most of us probably don't even know what that drink is. I may have literally just introduced you to that right now. I went with PIMS. So we've got CSR, career self-relationships, and PIMS, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. And every single one of your spheres has all four of these pillars, which is why they're called pillars, because they're all being held up by these pillars. So when somebody says, my job sucks, I say, okay, well, you know, is it, physically demanding or not physically demanding enough? Or do you feel emotionally supported there? Are you always arguing and and having conflicts at work? Do you feel like it's testing your mental abilities and keeping you fresh and sharp? Or maybe it's over testing your mental abilities and you'd prefer if it wasn't as, you know, exhaustive with the brain. Does the workplace stand up for your morals, ethics, values, opinions, beliefs? If you have a very strong moral, uh, ethic claim to environmentalism and you work for an oil company that you know is spilling oil into the ocean, they might not feel very aligned with that business, even if they do pay you extremely well. So those kind of things matter. And the whole idea of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual came from this idea of the mind, body, and spirit. And we've all heard of that. The mind, the body, the spirit. The mind is the mental, the body is the physical. And with spirit, I felt like it was too much. Because spirit, people will talk about your emotions, they'll talk about your energy, but then there's also the spirituality. And again, not everything that's spiritual is religious, but all things religious are spiritual. So spirituality does not hold itself to this idea of anything being religious. I say this quite frequently, and I always want to make sure that I say it again, just in case somebody's not heard me say that before. So now we've taken spirit and we've split it in half so that it's emotional and that it's now the spiritual aspect, the morals, the ethics, the values, the opinions, the beliefs, the principles, the standards of your habits, just to name a few. So you've got PIMS. So when I originally got sober and Patrick and I are sitting down in the living room, we're talking about this, we felt like we had an epiphany. Like, okay, if as coaches, we can direct our questions to help people gain clarity within these 12 rooms, then they are going to know what they can be working on, what they can be remodeling, what they can be fixing within their lives in order to feel better about themselves and see massive changes in their lives. And I went with rooms because that's how I pictured it in my head. I pictured it as this gigantic mansion with these 12 rooms, and it's sort of like I'm the center of it. And however you want to build your own mansion, or maybe you have a different way of picturing these 12 rooms, 
You could call them quadrants. You could call them sectors, floors, whatever you want to do. I stayed away from the floor idea because I didn't want one to feel more important than the other. So I didn't want to build a skyscraper with this. But I very much went with this idea of a mansion because there was a period of time in Los Angeles where I ran a business bartending for rich people in their mansions. So I got a chance to see a lot of exorbitant wealth and walk into homes that I will never be able to afford. You walk into a $20 million home, it's, that is wealth beyond wealth. And so there's this one very particular one I have in my head that was located right off the Pacific Ocean. You could see the ocean. This thing, it was the most magnificent home. I just loved the layout, the floor plan, the whole deal. This back area with this infinity pool and hot tub that it's like, it looked like the pool was just spilling water into the ocean. It was one of the most magnificent places I've ever witnessed. I loved working at this home. And that became my internal representation of this McMansion house that I was building of my own life. And with career, self, and relationships in these four pillars, that comes up to 12. Career, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. So that's four, four, and four. That makes up 12 rooms. And that's what I began to build in my head based off of this floor plan of this home that I had bartended at. And that became how I started to picture my sobriety and recovery journey. And one of the reasons I loved the room analogy or metaphor what visualization of all of this was because a lot of the times we will get down on ourselves and let's use a, let me just use the i statement here i would get down on myself because when i first got sober i was 233 pounds my physical body to me was grotesque i could barely even stand lo- looking at myself in the mirror but when it came to the rest of myself my emotions, my mental acuity, my spirituality, I felt like those were on the mend. And as I was beginning to process my emotions, get some of the things out in meetings, journaling about things, reading more books, and reading, listening to podcasts, and taking on information about the psychology, psychology of addiction, I felt like I was working on these rooms, even though when I looked at myself in the mirror, I saw this overweight slob looking back, you know, with yellow skin and sunken eyes. And it was just, oh my goodness, I still can picture myself back then. So it wasn't that my whole self was in shambles, just certainly looking at myself in the mirror and looking at my body, my physical self was not something I was happy with. That's why I got my membership at the Equinox gym. And I started going there day in and day out, day in and day out. I would hide in that gym to just not be in my room where I used to do the drugs and drink all the booze. And so that room in the house wasn't great, but the rest of the rooms weren't horrible. My relationships, I was able to start working on those rooms physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, the same with my career. Most of the people that worked did not know that I had been drinking myself to death. So I was able to go in there and very quickly right any wrongs that I had done and get that shit back on. So those rooms were great. Physical body, that physical self, yeah, that may have been a room that I closed the door. And when I gave people a tour of my life, I wasn't very thrilled with that room, but I knew I was working on it. 
So I didn't have to feel like my whole self was in shambles. Just that one particular area I was really putting a lot of attention toward. About a year and a half later when I hit 173 pounds and I really stalled out for about six or seven months when I started to date a woman, um, I stopped paying attention to my physical body in the gym as much and started putting more attention toward her. Uh, That definitely bit me in the ass. But once that relationship ended, I was able to get myself to 173, which had always been my goal. I wanted to lose the 60 pounds. That was a big thing for me to be able to do that 60 pound loss. And so that's what I achieved. Um, since then I've achieved a lot of different things with my physical body and put on weight and lost it. In fact, right now, you know, I spent the winter putting on weight to build muscle that didn't work out as well as I'd like. And I'm currently shedding myself back down to 169 to try again. It's something I do. I love messing around with the room of physical body for myself. So then I started saying, okay, great. We've got these 12 rooms. So what am I doing each and every day to work on one of these rooms? And then I started to really, really notice how none of these rooms get remodeled by themselves because no one of these rooms lives in its own little house. They're all interconnected into this gigantic mansion. And how does that work? Let me explain. So let's say that you want to work on your relationship with your partner. You have been in so and recovery, and you are ready to heal what addiction had, you know, so willfully taken from, you know, when you handed it over, it took it. It was like, okay, I guess I'll take uh, your happiness and your relationships now. So now you are sober and you look over at your partner and you want to start to mend that relationship. So you could say, okay, well, what am I doing physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually in order to help mend this relationship and move it forward? Right, a lot of people hear physical, they think sex, and that's obviously something that's important in any kind of you know intimate relationship with a loving partner. But it's not the only way. In fact, my mom used to say that foreplay starts in the morning. So, how are you touching them, and how are you rubbing their shoulders? Are you going on walks? What are you doing with them with your physical body? Are you going to a farmer's market on the weekend? Are you going to a concert? Are you going on a little day trip somewhere interesting two hours away just to walk around somewhere and, you know, buy something silly and then go home and be like, wow, that was so cool. We experienced that with each other. Going to a corn festival or a strawberry festival. Are you going on hikes and doing waterfalls? Are you getting the mountain bikes out with the family and and teaching your kid how to ride a mountain bike and overcome falling and hurting themselves and getting back up and trying again because growth mindset's important, right? Do you show up for your kid's first day at kindergarten, even though you had to drive thousands of miles to get there? Are you are you going out and are you doing these things, right? Are you are you learning uh, really awesome songs on a guitar and sharing those with the people that are important to you? Like these are the ways that we can be physically active with our own bodies with other people. And here's the thing: is it doesn't live in a bubble. So let's just take walking to a waterfall with your husband or wife as an example, because I've got some people in the tribe who have done this. So. They decide they are going to go on this walk to the waterfall, and let's say that the kids come along with them. So now the entire family unit is going there. They're both in sobriety and recovery. So their own physical body is there, right? They're working on their own emotional health because they're going on this cool walk to see the waterfalls, right? They're thinking about their lives. They're thinking about what's going on. So their mental energy is being expended there. And clearly the environment and being out and about and active is important. So their morals, their ethics, their values, those are being a part of this entire walk. So right there, just one of them being on this walk is working on all four rooms of themselves, but now they're doing it with their family. So now we've got relationships and all those people are there physically, 
you're having conversations and you're sharing laughter and emotions of walking on this cool hike. So the emotions are involved. You're having conversations and mental acuity is stepping in because you're discussing lives and things of that nature. And maybe you're seeing a pretty little butterfly resting on a flower and you're just enjoying that mental energy that it takes from your daydreaming about how beautiful the scenery is. And of course, as a family unit, you're now all involved in the spirituality of the morals, ethics, opinions, beliefs, and you know values and standards of habits and all of that. So now by going on one walk with your family, you are working on eight of your rooms. Now, if you bring in the career and you start talking about work and what's been going on there and discussing some emotions that you've had there, discussing how things are working out there, now you've got emotional, you've got mental, and of course, because you're talking about work, value alignment and things of that nature are going to come up. So now you're discussing spirituality. So now you're actually working on 11 of your rooms on one hike one hike. Obviously, career physical wouldn't necessarily play into account. I mean, you could be talking about that. So in a way that that would come up, but your physical body wouldn't necessarily be there. But if you were talking about how you were driving around a lot more because you recently got promoted to a sales job and your physical body was present at the house as much because you were doing this, that, or the other, then certainly now you're working on all 12, all 12, all 12 rooms being worked on with one hike. I mean, there you go. (laughs) Just one hour of going on a hike with the family, you have worked on all 12 of your rooms. Your sobriety and recovery has kicked some ass that day. You can go home, you can journal about it, you can be like, man, that was super dope. We literally crushed our PIMS and our spheres. Boom, shakalaka. We have remodeled all 12 of our rooms in one hike. And I use this to feel the way I'm feeling right now as I'm explaining this to you. And I knew this needed to get brought up because I brought this up to Aaron. He's one of the people in our tribe. And he said I could talk about his name as well. And he drives a truck. And this man lives in like West Virginia. And he will drive to Nebraska. And then he'll drive to Minneapolis. And then he'll drive to Brooklyn. All to make it home to see his kid go to school for the first, first day of kindergarten driving thousands upon thousands of miles. And we started talking about ways that he could up-level his life, being behind the wheel of a truck a lot, a lot. There are certain things he doesn't have the ability to do because he's on the road so much. And when I started talking about the spheres and the pillars, he's taking them down like he'd never heard about them before. And I realized that I had referenced them a lot, and they're probably in like episode 20 or 30 or somewhere back there, but they needed to be brought up again. So that's what we're doing here today, because this allows you, it blesses you really, with these feelings of positive movement and energy forward without looking for things that have to be humongous, right? Because productivity happens with just the littlest of things. Right right now, nobody else is at home. I'm thinking about going out in the backyard, laying on my patio. I got a little lawn chair action, fresh cut grass, put my feet in the grass, really let the energy of the earth come up through my spirit and just warm me up through my feet. Awesome times. I get a little bit of sunshine. I get to relax a little bit, listen to one of my favorite audio books. I get to work on myself, boom, just by laying on the back patio. Not everything has to be huge, like, oh, you know, I went to, you know, 50 meetings in 50 days or seven meetings in a row, or, you know, I went out in the backyard and I, you know, built a tool shed. Like, yeah, we want to be doing awesome things like that, but I want you to experience the personal growth 
and self-development in the little things. Because it's these little things that we are going to be participating in way more than these gigantic, huge things. Yes, getting the entire family in the minivan and driving down to Disneyland sounds great. $10,000 later and tons of miles and lots of heat. I mean, I'm not saying that that's not a great experience. And that's certainly, if it's in your wish list to go do, then go do it. But that's a huge event that's expensive, that takes time to plan. And yes, Awesome, awesome, awesome that people want to do that. I love going on trips. I've recently been to New Orleans. I'm going to Indiana soon. I would, but what about the little things? When the girlfriend and I go see Smashing Pumpkins or Weezer or Train coming up or the Doobie Brothers, just got some tickets to see the Beach Boys. For me, I, love, I just love going to live music. For me, that's my physical body, that's my emotions, that's my mental, that's my spiritual. And then girlfriend comes along, boom. Now we're working on eight. Not to mention I come back to work revitalized. My emotions are more balanced. A song was being sung by the band and my brain starts conjuring up a really cool way to turn it into a podcast or to evoke something new in my work. The band, you know, of loving what they're doing with their lives and that they're being productive and creative. And it's like all of a sudden it's like, Boom, all 12 rooms are being worked on as, you know, Smashing Pumpkins sings perfect at the Orion. Because those events are going to come around a lot more often than piling everybody into the car and driving a thousand miles away to see something cool. Those are going to happen, but we know those are happening. We spend a lot of time planning for those things to happen. But what about the little events that are happening? The walk through the neighborhood after dinner sitting on your kid's bed and having a heart-to-heart conversation with them about what they're actually experiencing in their lives. Calling up a friend that you haven't talked to in a while. Actually being there for somebody at work. when they're, Instead of just walking by being like, how you doing? No, I'm good. You know, Actually having a real conversation where you listen to learn, not respond. These are things that we are going to be coming across day in and day out, a thousand times a day. Are we noticing them? Career self-relationships, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. You have your visualization now, whether you've built it out to be a mansion or not. And a lot of other people have strategies and they have systems, and I'm not saying that theirs aren't fine too. This one just crushes it for me. I love this one. I run every activity that I do. At this point, it's like in a nanosecond. I'm like, I just worked on 10 rooms. Booyah. I don't have to feel down on myself. I don't have to feel overstressed about working on my sobriety and recovery. Because yes, at year six and a half, I am still very well aware that I am in addiction recovery. Not just because of the podcast and everything else I do, but because I actively choose to stay connected to this journey. I refuse to allow year six or 16 or 26 to be like, yeah, I guess, whatever, no big deal. Because we live in a society that is obsessed by alcohol. As much as we say there's been a war on drugs, it certainly seems like there's a lot of drugs here. (laughs) If it's a war, we've been losing for a long time. So we live in a society that sort of propels it towards us. And again, I don't think society ever says, well, I really hope all these people don't succeed in their sobriety and recovery. But beer companies are going to advertise during football games and you're going to want to go to a sporting bar to watch your favorite team and there's everybody going to be drinking around you and doing shots or you're going to go to a wedding or a bar mitzvah or a birthday party and people will be drinking there. Like, it's pervasive. It's around. 
So I'm going to stay in touch with my sobriety and recovery, and I do so utilizing these three spheres and these four pillars. A long time ago, I introduced the P4F system where you have one priority every day and four focuses. And for me, in my early stages, I had the priority being sobriety. Every single day, what was I doing to propel my sobriety and really build a strong foundation in my sobriety? And then my focuses would be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. What was I doing within one of those pillars each and every day to move myself forward? And again, it doesn't have to be huge. Cleaning my bathroom and keeping that little weird ring in the toilet from showing up, that was a success. Wiping off the kitchen cabinets and making sure dishes didn't pile up in the sink, success. Going outside and making sure that the lawn was mowed or, you know, that there wasn't ants infiltrating my house, success. Taking out the garbage when it was full instead of sticking my leg down in the can and trying to shove it down just a little bit more to buy an extra six inches of space so I wouldn't have to do it right then, success. Doing some push-ups when I got frustrated rather than going outside and having a cigarette, success. And I was being able to run it through this system in order to see it. Because once you see it, then you hear yourself say it, then you feel it, and you get the reward of having done it. That's why I believe that this system is so powerful. And yes, there's going to be other people wanting to talk about your nutrition and your physical activity and your finances and all these other things. And there's going to be all these other components of life. Every single one of them fits within this system. I believe that this is life's blueprint. That's why I called it that when I invented it and I've stuck with it still might be called the recovery blueprint now, but literally I believe it's life's blueprint. If you run your life through how you're building yourself up around your career, self, and relationships when it comes to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, you will cover every single base. There is nothing that cannot fit in here. So this becomes the master system that all the other systems that you might already have can fall underneath. But if you're looking for simplicity and you're new to sobriety and recovery, have your three columns, have your four pillars in each one of them. And then each and every day, just on a little piece of paper, just write down what you've done or what you plan on doing. Maybe you get done with your Walmart job, you go home, you get on the golf cart with your boyfriend and you ride around and you see all the animals and you go up and you pet them and you're friendly with them. You've worked on all four of your rooms for yourself, all four rooms of the relationship, not to mention your physical body is out there playing with the animals. And in a way, that's sort of what you're doing. So now you've worked on all four rooms of your career. And you've worked on all 12 rooms by getting in a golf cart and driving around the farm, participating with the animals and the boyfriend. I mean, that's a freaking huge win. You get to go and be like, wow. And talk about it with the other people. Be like, wow, do you realize how awesome it was what we just experienced with one another? Like, I want more of these days. This is what I believe we were missing out on when I was always wasted. And now we get to share these experiences and truly, deeply feel and be connected. I love this system. I will talk about this system ad nauseum. I have built whole speeches around this system. I hope that this is something that you can easily incorporate into your lives. It literally just takes a piece of paper, three columns, career self-relationships, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. Those are your pillars for each. I promise you, if you start writing these things down, you're going to have really cool things to journal about. You're going to start to see how it's these little tiny steps that build days into weeks, weeks into months, months into years. It, yes, it's going to take time. I don't know if I'd want to fast forward. I mean, that would, that would suck 
to have one of those remotes like Adam Sandler did in that movie Click, where he just accidentally like fast forward through like four years of his life, or maybe it was even more. I want to experience each and every little step because it's when you cheat yourself out of feeling that those steps that I think that you don't get to experience the wonderment of what sobriety and recovery really is. It's like a bodybuilder who puts steroids into their body. The muscles grow super fast, but the ligaments don't get stronger at the same time. The joints aren't prepared for how fast the muscles grow. So a lot of injuries, a lot of things can happen negatively when the person tries to hyper-accelerate their muscle growth, but doesn't allow the entire system to grow at the same time. Because steroids work on the muscles, they don't do anything else for the rest of the body. In fact, they actually cause a lot of harm to it. So this idea that, man, I wish I could just hyper-accelerate through all of this, then what? You snap your fingers and you got a year in, great, you got a year in numbers, but you wouldn't have that year of experiences. I don't want to Johnny Apple seed this and fall asleep underneath a tree and just wake up with another year of sobriety under my belt. I want to experience the ebbs and flows of daily life every single day. That's the magic. That's what I was muting. That's what I wasn't paying attention to when I was wasted. I want to be paying attention now. Heart and mind, body, spirit, all of it. Let's get the fuck involved. It is time. Who we were is not who we are today. And now you have a way of looking at your sobriety and recovery through this blueprint. Do with it as you will. But I can assure you, those of my clients and those of my listeners and those of the people I have met who I've introduced this to have taken on as a way of life, they have propelled themselves forward, not necessarily in speed, but in growth, in appreciation, in gratitude, because they see the beauty in the walk on their from sobriety to recovery trail and how the leaves change and how the seasons go. And, and it's like, it's snowy one day and it's, and it's green the next and then there's butterflies and then it's back to, you know, fall leaves and they get to watch their lives just propel and grow and move forward. And it's majestic and it's beautiful. And how the fucking Luya that we chose sobriety over death. Hallelujah. Because I woke up in a shit tub, and if I didn't think I was having a heart attack and didn't look at myself in the mirror and say, holy shit, this is how my loved ones are going to know the story of Jesse Mogul ended? Oh, hells no. I could not die in that bathroom that day, knowing that that was the end of my story. I thought getting sober was, I was like, okay, that's what it was. My soul needed to be addicted, and now it needs to be sober, and congratulations, I achieved it. The end. But it wasn't. It was just the beginning. And it has been an amazing journey. I am blessed to have had you here for 224 episodes. And here's to the next 224. Utilize this system how you will. But I can assure you that if you embrace it, if you take it in as a way of life, you will see in the intricacies of life the majestic nature of your beingness. It will change everything. And if you really want to dive into how to shift your mindset to overcome some level of stagnation or fear or depression or sadness or start to heal the pains and the sufferings that you have been going through for all these years, I would absolutely highly recommend that you learn neuro-linguistic programming with me. I have been teaching this for years. I have seen what it has done with members of the tribe who've taken it on. In fact, I launched the tribe by teaching some of my most fervent, impassioned, empowered listeners, neuro-linguistic programming. 
That's how I launched this entire tribe was by teaching some of them. We called them the founders back then, still do, but now we've moved everything over to the tribe. By teaching them NLP, I empowered them to just see their world from a whole new lens. And what they've done with this information and how they've incorporated it in their lives has been nothing short of amazing. It's just equally empowering for me to be able to experience it with them. I'm running an ad in front of the podcast about it. By all means, go to jessemogul.com slash ask me or go to callcoachjesse.com and set up a time. We can have a quick call about what this class would look like in your lives. Yeah. Am I finishing up the episode with a bit of a sales pitch? Yes. Because look, I know the power of this stuff. And this thing I just taught you, the blueprint, this is not part of NLP. This is just something that I invented before I even really knew what NLP was. But once NLP came, I saw how this whole system was actually underneath the surface all along. If you're feeling like there's something missing, NLP can show you what that is. What you do with that information, that's that's the creator in you. That's empowerment. All right, my friends, as always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine, Glow On. I will see you next time. Bye-bye. 